Welcome to the Brisbane Property Podcast with your hosts, Melinda and Scott Jennison from Streamline Property Buyers, your local Brisbane property specialists. Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of the Brisbane Property Podcast. Um, today we're going to have a bit of a chat over the recent events that um, have occurred up here in Brisbane. We had a, a massive amount of rain and there's been flooding. Um, it, it seems quite surreal talking about it today because when I look out the window, it is just beautiful blue sky and about 32 degrees. So um, it, it's quite weird that you know on the weekend, late last weekend on the weekend, we had a massive amount of rain. We had a flooding and there's parts of the water's gone down now, now obviously, but um, a lot of the mud is still around and people are recovering and cleaning up. Yeah, welcome back, everybody. I know last week we mentioned we had a special guest and we will be um, uploading that episode in the weeks ahead. But we've had so many people reach out to inquire um, about what's actually happening in Brisbane and what's likely to happen in the weeks ahead. So we wanted to dedicate this podcast to answering those um, queries. And of course, it's a very uncertain time. Nobody ever expected um, 11 years after the 2011 floods for Brisbane to flood again. And, you know, it is devastating for our city. It's absolutely devastating for those homes and those families that have been impacted. Um, but of course, you know, we're very resilient up here in southeast Queensland and we're definitely on the road to recovery once again. So, you know, there was nothing that could describe the volume of rain that came down in a space of three or four days. I mean, it was absolutely incredible. It has been described as a rain bomb. Um, I know at times I just thought that the roof was going to cave in. It was so heavy and so consistent um, that unless you were here experiencing it, it was very hard to actually describe. Yeah, and I know there's obviously there's, there's so many stories out and about um, of you know people who have suffered from the from the floods and our thoughts and you know are out there with everyone as well. Hopefully they can clean up and make a quick recovery. Um, we've got friends and families and whatnot that have, have been affected, um, and we've been talking to them. Um, you know, there's there's so many stories of you know I know a couple that were away in Tasmania on the weekend and they um, all their family was with them and their house was flooded as well. Um, friends that went through the last and we actually had a friend on Anne was on here um, previously on our podcast. Um, they had water go through their property as well. Um, they had made a bit of a flood plan on that one where they built upstairs and they carried everything up. Downstairs did go. Um, to get water through there. You were speaking in this morning, Melinda. Yeah. So, um, you know, look, our thoughts are there. Hopefully everyone can clean up, um, we can recover, and, and everyone will. Um, but just to give you an update of, you know, obviously those stories are out and about, things floating down the river and whatnot, but just to give you a bit of an idea of, of um, you know, what has happened and how, how it has affected the city um, with some, some stats and some data, I guess. Yeah, so when we compare what's happened um, just in the last few days here in Brisbane with what happened in the 2011 flood, uh, back in 2011, the Brisbane River peaked at 4.56 metres. Um, this flood, the Brisbane River peaked at 3.85 metres, and that was Monday morning. So it was definitely well below the peak of the 2011 flood. But I have to say, this is a different type of flood because as the Wyvernhoe Dam was releasing water and the river was peaking and, and the high tides were, you know, correlating with those, those peaks in the flood levels, the rain kept falling. And as a consequence, the creeks, the waterways, the overland flow paths throughout Brisbane, um, people that were not impacted in 2011 have been significantly impacted in this flood event. So it's not just a river flooding event on this occasion. It's also a creek 
and waterway flooding event. Um, it's also an overland flow event. There's so many people whose um, homes were leaking, who, how water just found its way in. And if we were to talk about the volume of water, um, and I don't know if this makes sense to anybody, but 1,450 gigalites entered Wyvernhoe Dam over about three days. And if we were actually to contrast that with 2011, less water entered Wyvernhoe Dam in the 2011 floods over a six-day period. So that gives you some idea of the, the sheer volume. Um, Wyvernhoe Dam went from 60% capacity to over 183% capacity in the space of four days. I mean, that's just uncomprehendable to be honest now i'm not an expert on that and i i actually don't even know what a gigalite is um, but um, <laughs> i must admit the amount of rain that we saw on on sunday um it came down in gigalites so like it was it was so heavy <laughs> that it was just incredible how heavy it was and how consistent it was it literally just didn't stop and if we did get a slight break it was so short and then the rain would just come again and it was so heavy it the water just didn't get away. The roads were completely covered in water. Um, the stormwater drains were at capacity. Yeah. Um, you know, gutters were overflowing. Um, everything was just, you know, exploding with water. And just to, again, for some perspective, Mount Glorious uh, received more than 1.5 metres of rain, 1.5 metres in a week. And now the average annual rainfall for that little town, which is about 30 kilometres west of Brisbane, is about 1.6 metres. So that area received a year's worth of rain in a week. Yeah. And that's just, you know, uncomprehendable. And, you know, we've got a rain gauge at home. Where were we up to just so um, in, in, in the inner north? In those few days, um, we I, I um, counted about 830, 830, I think it was 880. I think it was 880. Sorry, 880 um, millimetres of, um, of rain. Yep. Um, so it's just a massive, massive dump of rain. It's interesting when you look at Wyvernoe Dam, and I know that um, we talk about percentages and things like that. I, I don't know the exact details of it, but I was watching um, something before we lost power um, <laughs> and we're still without power at our house. Um, but I watched how Wyvernoe Dam went from 60% to 183%. Now, the guy that was talking about it from southeast. Um, water, South East Queensland. Queensland water, was talking about how the how Wyvernoe is set up. So there's different percentages and there's different levels that they categorise in, in in safe drinking water and the amount of water they need for that water just for, for drinking, and that is our supply for Brisbane. Um, and then there's the next level, which is more of a, a safety guard type of thing for the city, and there's also then the emergency. So he was talking about Wyvernoe can take up to around 200%. Um, now, how that works, I'm not exactly sure, but it, as you can see, it goes up to around that 200% mark and it, it's now at 183%. And even today, um, whilst recording, they are still releasing water from Wyvernhoe Dam to ensure that it's back to a safe um, capacity. Now, if we have a look at what the modelling shows in terms of the number of properties that have been impacted in this event, um, it shows that there's potentially around 15,000 houses. Of course, it's too early to tell, um, but that's, what, that's what's been uh, predicted and that's what we're hearing through the news as well. Um, and there's about 53,000 homes that have been impacted um, by, by a loss of power as well. Um, so there's a lot of people in Brisbane that are you know, grouping together to help each other. I know the hum of generators in some suburbs is quite loud, uh, but look, you know, we're very resilient and 
I think most importantly, where to from here and um, what is this likely to do with the property market that, you know, has been an absolute, um, you know, unstoppable force um, until now. Yeah, it, it's, um, as I said, mentioned earlier, we are without power. We've been without power since Sunday. Um, it, it's funny. It's not funny. But when you walk into, I walked home yesterday from work and just that walking around the corner into our neighbourhood where we all live and and the serenity of generators is just <laughs> such a beautiful sound to, to hear. <laughs> but um, anyway, so so what does it what does it do? Obviously, we'll clean up, um, we'll rebuild. Um, there will be pressure on the construction side of it. I know I've talked about that before. Um, construction is under pressure at the moment. Getting trades, um, getting materials, things like that. Now that we've got this event, that will put more pressure on it. Obviously, the insurance insurance companies are going to be working pretty hard, um, and the trades are going to be flat out. So that will have a bit of a pressure on it. But then, what's it going to do for the property market? That is the um, question that is on everybody's minds, especially property investors, especially people that have been looking to buy in Brisbane. Um, And I guess having been through this type of event previously, we can draw information from the last major flooding event in 2011 and see what actually happened at a suburb level in that instance. Um, Now, there's a fantastic research paper by Professor Chris Eaves from the Queensland University of Technology that we've been able to source and it actually um, assessed the impact that um, resulted in the 12 months after the 2011 floods here in Brisbane. What better way to predict what might happen now than to look back and assess what actually happened previously? So um, I've spent a lot of time reading through this paper, understanding the the results and interpreting those results, and hopefully I'll be able to provide some uh, clarity for those people that have concerns about what is likely to happen. Um, This paper not only provides some information around, you know, the immediate effect on listing volumes in both the sales and the rental market, um, it also looks at median price changes, um, it looks at buyer sentiment, it looks at the volume of sales, uh, but even more importantly, it also looks at how different segments of the market responded. So it breaks down different suburbs by socio economic class. It it breaks it down by the demographic group. So we've got high value properties, median value, medium value properties and low value properties. And that sort of aligns with some of the locations that uh, were previously impacted and may also be impacted on this occasion. So some really valuable data that we're going to be sharing with you now. I I know there's been some other, I've, I've seen some other articles where, you know, People obviously have comments and things like that as well. So I think this, um, yeah, this this research that you've got here and this information is is very interesting. Um, so so what's what's been done, and can you give us a bit of an idea of the results side of things? So yeah, the research methodology um, that was conducted as part of this this research it focused on Brisbane and it focused on the flood event of 2011. Um, obviously, we know the economic impact of that flood exceeded. 5 billion Australian dollars, which is absolutely huge. Um, however, what we don't know with absolute certainty is, is what impact that had on the, the changing um, sentiment for buyers and sellers in residential real estate. And that's what this um, study really focused on. So data was collected after the Brisbane f- flood of rent event. Um, so for the month prior to the actual flood and then for 12 months after Um, 48 suburbs were part of the study. Of those, 24 suburbs were subject to extensive flooding 
and a further 24 suburbs were of a similar residential property um, status, so had similar characteristics, similar median values, but they were not flood affected. So 50% of the um, the subject, sorry, the, the suburbs were flood impacted, the other 50% were flood free. And it's basically because of the selection of the suburbs, 95% of all suburbs that were flood impacted in 2011 were included in the uh, in, in the study. So really fascinating information that we can draw out of that because it was a very good sample size. Uh, now the information, the data that was drawn for this suburb was all obtained from realestate.com. Um, that determined the average number of sales listings and rental listings for each of the subject, each of the suburbs in the study. Um, we also had the volume of sales and the average sale prices extracted from RP data, um, the database um, it's a paid subscription. It's a software that we're using house as well. Um, and then there was Australian Bureau of Statistics data for demographic information. Okay, so they're the, the sources of data that were used. So obviously, Melinda, there's a lot of information that's going to come from this. So you probably hear Melinda's voice come out a little bit more, um, obviously, in this the research side of things. So can you, can you break it down in, in something like the sales? So the sales for listings? Yeah, so obviously after a significant flood event, um, and we're hearing this anecdotally from the conversations we've had in the last few days with sales agents, a lot of sellers get nervous and a lot of sellers hold off that decision to list their property for sale. So what happens is the listing volumes actually decline. Now, when we look at the information um, from this study, uh, in the month following the flood back in 2011, there was a 7.8% drop in the number of listings um, in the low value flooded suburbs. So that was an immediate response. Um, after the initial flood period, what happened is that sales um, of flood impacted properties started to increase. And the, uh, the, the study um, author concluded that um, because of this, in the low-value suburbs, property owners were presenting their homes for sale um, if they'd been flood impacted because they had limited financial resources to repair their properties um, and they may not have had the opportunity to um, move to a less, or they took the opportunity to move to a less impacted location. So in the low-value locations, we saw listing volumes immediately um, there was a reduction and then it gradually started to rise after about four weeks and a lot of the properties that were sold were still flood impacted properties. So a very interesting trend that occurred in the low value properties. And, and what about the flood free, did you say on that? So um, obviously the, the flood affected ones, you said dropped around that 7.8%. What, what was it for the flood free properties? So in the same low value suburbs, um, flood free properties only dropped 3.8% compared to 7.8%. So, um, you know, there was more appetite for people that were not flood impacted to continue to push through with a sales yep. campaign. So so obviously that's the, the listing side of it. So when that's in the, the low range, um, then do you go up through the different segments through that? Yeah, so when we look at the middle value suburbs, there was a decrease in sales listings for both flood impacted and non-flood impacted suburbs um, in the two months following the floods. Uh, the number of sales listings then continued to decline for non-flood suburbs throughout 2011. So it definitely had an impact on the volume of sales and what I would, or the volume of listings. And what I want to add to that is that we are already in a significantly low listing volume environment here in Brisbane and the, de 
that the supply side of it in terms of the number of, pro of properties available for sale has been down nearly 38% year on year according to that CoreLogic data. That is huge, huge falls in, in what was happening even before this flood event. So if we're going to see a similar uh, drop um, that we saw back in 2011, it's going to be quite critical. There's really going to be nothing to buy or yeah, not, not and, much to buy. And there's a lot of people that do talk about that at the moment and have for a while saying, you know, it's difficult, there's not a lot of listings. So, you know, if there's going to be that bit of a drop and, and by the looks of it, there, there will be a bit of a drop on, on listings. Um, what about, so was that was the, meet, the middle side of things? And obviously when we talk about, I know we now monthly updates, um, our market updates, we talk about those different segments of the market. Yeah. Um, did it have it for the high, higher end side of things? Well, interestingly, and if we just circle back to the middle ring suburbs after that first month where there was a decline um, in the listings, it did start to increase. So the number of listings continued um, to increase over the middle value suburbs. And so the authors concluded that um, people in the flood affected suburbs were actually a little bit more anxious to sell. In the high value locations, um, the impact on floods of the floods on the sale listings was actually not as pronounced, which was quite interesting. So um, both flood and non-flood suburbs showed a declining trend in the sales listings um, throughout 2011. Um, and then after September 2011, so that was what, about nine months after the flood, both saw an increasing uh, trend in sales listings. So the authors concluded there that the decision to sell was more of a market decision rather than the impact of the floods. So that's significant when you think about the trend in the lower value suburbs versus the trend in the higher value suburbs. There was more of a, we need to sell, we can't hold our property. Um, there may have been some, there, there was a conclusion around the fact that some of those low value suburbs may not have had um, the insurance to cover the cost of repair, so they did offload, um, whereas people in the higher value suburbs um, had less need to sell. That's according to the data from this study. So obviously then, and what we do, the other thing we do talk about um, quite quite often, and it affects obviously the investor side of it, is the rental market. Mm. So obviously the rental market, there's a lot of pressure on that at the moment, um, yeah. low listings um, and you know, I think the listing numbers are very, very like way down um, and vacancy rates are really low as well. So what about then, what sort of impact did it have on the rental side of things? Yeah, so again, looking at Brisbane as it is, um, or as it was before this flood event, we were at record low vacancy rates. There really was a rental vacancy, a rental prices. There's very little to rent in Brisbane. Now, a significant flood event um, always causes housing stress for affected parties. People do need to relocate and generally they relocate to a nearby rental property. Um, so when there's such low uh, stock available, when there's so few rentals available, it's just going to put more stress on that rental market um, as an immediate response, which is a bit concerning when that is already so tight. So, you know, Based on um, the data from this 2011 report, immediately after a severe flood, there will be a decrease in the number of residential properties that are offered for rent um, until the short-term housing issues are resolved. So you've got to remember people can't live in a home that's been significantly flood impacted until it's repaired. So those people that don't or haven't seen or been um, through this type of thing before, uh, as a bit of a, an idea of what actually happens is, is say your house... Um, Flood water goes through there, whatever level it may be. Say it's a meter, for example, and the water goes through that section of the house. Basically, what you've got to do is when the water gets out and you clean all the mud out with it and the water, um, any floor coverings, so carpet, things like that, you need to rip them up. 
you go around the wall and if it's the sheeting on the wall, so generally a lot of places have um, chiprock plasterboard and you need to cut that out above the, the water level and you need to remove that off the wall, clean all the water, the water and the mud and everything out from inside the walls and you need to let the timber dry out. Now, there's, there's machines and tools that you use to actually test the moisture level in the timber and you need to basically let that be there. You can put fans on and you can put dehumidifiers humidifiers in there and, and try and clear that out. But it, it can take months for that to actually that timber to dry out and it needs to be at a level that it's dry enough to be able to resheet it again and rebuild. So hence the reason people can't stay in their houses, they need to relocate, they need to move into rental property, and this can take months and months before it can actually get repaired. That's not taking into account the amount of pressure on the construction, as I mentioned at the start of the podcast as well. So when we look at the number of um, properties that were available for rent after the 2011 flood, and we look first of all at the low value properties, um, there was definitely a significant change in the number of low value properties available for rent. Um, now, the authors concluded that a lot of that could have been attributed to a number of the flood affected houses were actually available for rent prior to um, the flood and then could no longer be rented. So there was a significant shift as a result of that. So a lot of rental properties were impacted. Um, the other thing is after two months, there was a, a market increase in the number of properties available for rent. So after the initial uh, decrease, it did jump up. And the authors concluded in that instance, again, in these low value locations, that people took the opportunity to move to other areas after the flood event rather than staying in the flood affected low value suburbs, which is a very interesting trend, especially um, for property investors that um, may be looking for those rental returns. Mm. So a bit of pressure on the rental side of things, obviously. Um, what about the middle value area as well? So interestingly, there was not a lot of um, change in the middle value locations. Now, an interesting thing that the authors concluded there was in relation to the fact that a lot of our middle value locations are in our middle ring locations around Brisbane. So remember in 2011, um, the flood event was a river flooding event predominantly. It didn't impact the middle ring suburbs as much because they weren't near the river. A lot of the low value suburbs um, out in the western suburbs towards Ipswich were significantly impacted and the high value suburbs being um, riverside locations closer into the CBD were also significantly impacted but not so much the middle ring because it was um, more overland flow and at that time the rain wasn't falling Stop. as hard or yep. as fast. So that's interesting. Um when we look at the high value rental property market, um, it was relatively stable um, in the, the 12 months um, after the, the flood event as well. Um, so what what actually there was a, an in, increase um, from January to January 2011 in the number of rental listings available, um, but also in the two months following the flood, the number of houses available for rent decreased. A lot. So it suggested that many of the homeowners whose properties were flooded, they immediately sought nearby rental accommodation until their properties could be repaired and then they moved back into their properties. Mm. So obviously that, yeah, again, that low area, a lot of, a lot of um, pressure on that side of things. So what about then the price um, when it comes to housing? So the effect on the median price side of things? So this is really interesting and this is obviously what a lot of people, um, you know, need to understand and a lot of people have been asking us about how does this change the value of property in Brisbane? Um, one thing that is important to note, not all houses in flood-affected suburbs 
um, were actually affected. However, in this study, and they've listed this as one of the drawbacks of the study, they just grouped all sales from that location. So, for example, um, there can be a stigma associated with um, buying in an area that uh, might have been flooded, um, even if the property was in a flood-free area. So it's important to note that upfront. Um, when we look at low-value uh, properties, there was a decline in the median value in the 12 months following the flood of 22.7% fact. Now, that is something that um, we have documented um, in, in our own information as well. Uh, Flood-impacted properties um, obviously lose value immediately after the flood event, and that's being reconfirmed by this study as well. Um, when we look at um, the sector that did not show a decrease in the median value of houses, um, that was the medium value suburbs. So suburbs in the middle ring location, and remember in 2011, they were not impacted by river flooding. Um, any impact that they had was more likely to be overland flow, which is more of a temporary um, water in, water out, no mud, less cleanup, etc. So there was no change in the median value um, according to this particular study. Um, when we look at the 12 months after the flood um, in the high value properties, um, there was a fall in median values of 15.94% um, compared to for flood affected properties. Okay, so these are flood affected properties. Um, when we compare that in the high value um, segment of the market, non-flood affected properties did decline 7.11%. So that's associated with the stigma. Now, remember some of these suburbs had significant river flooding. Um, they're not necessarily locations that um, have had the same impact this time. And I really want to emphasize that this is a different flood event. The river has not um, been to the level that it was back in 2011 and some suburbs that were not previously flooded have been impacted this time. So it's really important to understand at a local level which areas were impacted, what was the impact and how does that, you know, affect properties in that specific location. And I, and I think fighting against that will be obviously the current conditions in the market. Yeah. You know, we've, we've seen so many increases and, and if you compare it back to 2011, you know, the market was not doing that back then what it is now. No. So the movement of that, it's it's going to fight against that and it's going to counteract that type of, you know, falls that you had back then, um, you know, for what's actually happening now as well. Yeah, so we always talk about um, property values are a consequence of changes in supply and demand. So right now in Brisbane, we've got um, significant supply issues because listing volumes have already been low. We're now moving into a situation where we could, based off previous um, experience, we could find fewer properties listed. So that's going to put further pressure on the market. However, yes, there's going to be some dampened demand. Without a doubt, there's going to be some buyers that are spooked, um, some buyers that don't know Brisbane well, don't know um, the due diligence they need to do to, um, you know, purchase a flood-free property. Um, there's always going to be buyers that are willing to take that risk, of course, and there may be opportunity for some buyers that are wanting to get into the Brisbane property market and potentially purchase a property that, you know, does have some flood impact. And obviously that comes down to an individual's risk appetite, which no one can control but yourself. As an investor, it is important to understand the increased costs associated with holding um, a property that, 
uh, may have flood impact at any time in the future, that cost will come in increased insurance premiums um, and potential cleanup costs as well. So definitely something to keep in mind. Um, we also anecdotally think that there may be a shift in um, heightened demand for non-flood impacted properties because we've got such low supply that might further exacerbate the demand for flood-free properties here in Brisbane. That's going to be an interesting trend that we will watch in the coming weeks. Um, obviously, it's too early to tell and all we can do is look back at what's happened previously to get an understanding of what might happen. And I think the, the fundamental things to keep in mind are more around the listing volumes for sales the listing volumes for rent and the current market conditions is what's going to determine what that does to change the median value. How the median value changed last time, it's not a given that the same thing will happen this time because we are in a different market with different supply and demand drivers. And that's critical for buyers to keep in mind as they're making an assessment about what might happen. And I don't think it's just, I mean, I keep coming back to that maintenance, preventative maintenance type of thing too. I mean, yes, this was a major, major downfalls and major flood event that, that actually happened. But I do keep talking to people about um, just being a bit smart with your house. So if it's a property you're looking looking at or if it's your own house type of thing as well, just make sure you have good drainage around the house. Make sure the, the ground falls away from the property so that it doesn't actually, uh, the water fall in towards the property drains are cleared, keep an eye on things, make sure your gutters are cleared, all those types of things. I know that people hear it and say, oh, yeah, it'll be all right. But, you know, they're the sort of things that actually can have a major effect. If your gutters are full of rubbish, then the water's not going to get away like it should. Um, it'll overflow. It'll go into areas it's not supposed to be. Um, same around the property. Make sure your drains are cleared. Make sure there's not things blocking it. So it's really being smart on your house or your, or your property to make sure it is prepared for any um, heavy rain events as well. Um Look, I know we've talked a lot about wet weather there, but the sun is shining outside. So <laughs> you get to you got to speak a whole episode on the weather. On the weather, so I hope everyone enjoyed that. But um, look, um, I will let Melinda wrap it up as usual. Um, we will get back to shopping and looking for houses and doing what we do. Um, but hopefully, that's given you a bit of information of what has actually happened up here. Um, again, our thoughts, everyone. Hope everyone gets to clean up um, and get things back to normal. Um, I'm sure Brisbane will bounce back. I'm very confident. Um, we are the, coming up to the Olympic City um, in the future. So I, I'm sure things are going to be positive and, um, and everyone will um, have a smile on their face and get back to normal. So I'll let Melinda wrap it up. Um, again, thanks very much for listening and bye for now. And of course, um, let's not forget, which I didn't mention previously, that the suburbs that made the fastest rebound um, in the three to four years post the 2011 floods were actually the flood impacted locations. So we may see a repeat, we may not. Um, the future is unknown and time will actually tell. But um, thanks to Professor Chris Eves from the Queensland University of Technology and also Associate Professor Sarah Wilkinson, University of Technology, Sydney. Um, great research paper. I hope that my summary has helped others understand what the impact from 2011 has been here in Brisbane. This is actual data. This is what we saw. Um, and of course, the current economic conditions, the current supply and demand conditions here in Brisbane will determine whether it's similar or whether it's different. And only time will tell. And certainly we'll be updating based on what we are seeing on the ground. This weekend is going to be really important for us to see how many buyers are out um, 
you know, whether they are still optimistic, how many new properties we're seeing listed. And this week, there's definitely been down. Um, time will tell. But I hope that's given you a good summary and hopefully provided some reassurance that um, it's not all doom and gloom. Um, Brisbane will recover. Unfortunately, there are um, a number of homes that have been impacted. But remember, it is the minority, not the majority. And we need to um, focus on, you know, doing that due diligence up front before we buy. Thank you so much for joining us once again. If you've enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to share it with others. Um, this episode, I think, will be relevant for a lot of people that may have been considering buying in Brisbane um, and it will help them to make a decision that's going to be right for them. Until next week, we will be in touch again then. You have a good week. Bye for now. Thanks for tuning in today. Please remember everything we have spoken about on this podcast is general in nature and we always recommend that you obtain independent advice in relation to your specific circumstances. If you liked today's episode, don't forget to subscribe or leave us a review on iTunes and of course, tell your friends about us. If you would like to get in contact, please visit www.brisbanepropertypodcast.com.au or email us at info at brisbanepropertypodcast.com.au. Feel free to send in any questions and we will try to answer them in future episodes.